Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Justin Ruderman. And I'm Garrett Post. And today we will be getting into the most recent Premier League action, as well as MLS, of course. Uh, and, and we'll cover a little bit of the rest of Europe as well, because there's there's some happenings there with the, the new winners in the leagues, uh, or, or new as you like to look at them. Uh, and then the U.S. Open Cup as well in the United States has started, so we will uh, go over that. Uh, but we can begin with the midweek fixtures from last week, Garrett, right after our last episode. Uh, it was Liverpool-Manchester United at Anfield, and it was a battering as expected. You predicted it, I believe, on your Twitter account. Uh, 4-0 to Liverpool. That makes it 9-0 aggregate on the season uh, in this fixture. I mean, all you can say is is more United in shambles. Obviously, they've gotten Ten Hagen, and it's starting to think about next season because the top four is basically gone for them, isn't it? Yeah, it, it it really is. And you say I predicted it. Indeed, I did. As soon as the lineups dropped, I quote tweeted and said, 4-0 inbound. That's exactly what happened. Um, I mean, United didn't stand a chance. And, and I think I've, I'm struggling to find the exact number right now, Justin, but they're winless in a lot of games against Liverpool now at this point, like stretching back years and years. It's been a while since... United were able to take down, you know, one of their top two rivals, obviously Liverpool and United being the two most successful clubs in the history of England, you know, a a big rivalry and Liverpool are just dominating it currently. Um, You know, United were all over the place. Liverpool took advantage and Ralph Ragnick, you know, we had the official appointment of Ten Hag uh, come recently. And so I think, Rognick's probably excited to get out of the hot seat and I'm sure United fans are excited to get him out of the managerial spot because it's been a disaster if we're being honest. Yeah, as you say, uh, Manchester United haven't beaten Liverpool in the league since 2018. There you uh, go. They to, but uh, they did they did beat them in the cup uh, last year in 2021 um, in the FA Cup 3-2. But in the league, you are correct. They have not won since 2018. Uh, I think that's six or seven games, if I'm accounting correctly. So it's it's a while. Um, but yeah. And then we can move to the other Merseyside uh, team, Garrett, prior to the Merseyside Derby, that is, which we'll get in later. Uh, it, it is your team, and it was a late, late winner from Rich, or not winner, excuse me, a late, late equalizer. It felt like a winner for Everton fans, didn't it? Uh, in the 92nd minute, Richarlison, tell us about it. Yeah, that that's a good save. It, it was an equalizer that felt like a winner, a valuable point. I mean, Leicester just came out firing off to the races in this game. First 10 minutes, they had about 80% possession, got an early goal through Harvey Barnes. Um, it's kind of an unfortunate deflection off Yuri Mina, and it just fell to him at the back post, tapped it in. Nothing Pickford could do about it. Um, and then, you know, Richarlison missed a sitter a, about five minutes after that, which could have made it 1-1. Um, but you know, basically bobbling ball, put it wide, but you know, after that Everton had the better chances, we ended up with the higher XG at the end of this game, even though, you know, I saw Burnley fans complaining on Twitter saying, Oh, Lester should have killed it off, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, as much as the point was, was great. And Richarlison ended up making up for that error in, in second half stoppage time, um, his goal deflected off of Ricardo Pereira and, and went in, I think it would have been going in anyways, but. 
a point rescued, although with what's going on at Burnley, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, now, looking back on it almost a week later, it's a game that we needed to win and we didn't. And we're in a very tough spot now. Yep. As you say, and before we get to Burnley, uh, quickly, we have a, a London Derby, uh, which was at Stanford. Oh, yeah, ju- just a ours. London Derby. No, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was a big deal. I mean, it was a big, big win for Arsenal. Maybe not so much of a Huge. big deal for Chelsea to lose it because, I mean, they're kind of just stuck in third place. Do these league games really matter that much for them anymore? I don't know. But for Arsenal, a very big win. Uh, going to Stamford Bridge and beating Chelsea 4-2. They played really well, some beautiful football uh, leading to their goals as well. So, I mean, I just keep talking about, I think this Arteta project is going somewhere. Uh, Obviously, they have a very young team, and the football that's starting to be played is really uh, nice and starting to get results as well. Yeah, I mean, it's up and down, up and down, though. It's just like Spurs. Arsenal and Spurs right now are just trying to hand each other the opportunity to play in the Champions League next year, right? Because, you know, Arsenal had lost two straight against Brighton and Palace, and then Spurs draw against Brentford this week, which means that these three points for Arsenal are even more valuable. I mean, from Chelsea's point of view, there's only one game that matters in the rest of Chelsea's season, and that is the FA Cup final against Liverpool, obviously. They're pretty much, you know, they are going to finish third. There's no two ways about it. League games don't really matter to them. Although, obviously, bragging rights, you never want to lose at home against Arsenal if you're Chelsea. But Eddie and Ketia just went off in this game. Smith Rowe had a goal. I mean, it was a fantastic game. I was sad I was not watching it because I was watching Richarlison miss sitters instead. Um, But, yeah, I mean, just I've. As I've, I can't keep saying it, Justin, but that North London Derby, because Arsenal and Spurs are just going back and forth on, no, you have it, no, you have it, and that game is going to end up deciding all of it, um, and I cannot wait for it. Yeah, that, that little game of hot potato with, with that fourth spot, it seems, throughout Seriously. the season. Arsenal, Arsenal potentially uh, grabbing it and saying, we want it um, with, with that win, and then, of course, beating Manchester United as well uh at the weekend which again as you say with with Tottenham losing it really um makes that top four race even better but puts them in a good spot now two points ahead of Tottenham uh equal games played so they are the ones who have it in their hand right if if they were to draw the North London Derby they still have it in their hands yeah but at the same time we've been going back and forth on this like you know, one week we say, oh, Arsenal are in the best position. They have it in their hands. You know, a week later we go, okay, now Spurs are in the best position. They have it in their hands. It's flipping back and forth every week because both of these teams are being so inconsistent. Um, you know, Arsenal winning two games that they probably, I mean, United, I feel like they'd probably expect to win just because of how bad United have been. But, you know, going to Stanford Bridge and winning, definitely an unexpected result. Spurs not winning at Brentford, definitely an unexpected result. So we could be getting more and more of those. I mean, at this point, although, yes, it's in Arsenal's favor, I still feel like it's 50-50 because I feel like either of these teams can win any game, but they can also lose any game. Well said. And talking about consistency, uh, there's one team that has been extremely consistent 
uh, this season that people would not have expected, and that is Newcastle United, who went and got a 1-0 win at St. James's Park, thanks to Miguel Almiron. Uh, solo goal there, very nice finish. Um, but, the, but the point here is, is that in this year, in 2022... Newcastle have the second most points in the Premier League behind Liverpool. If there was a table for 2022, they would be in second place right now. Uh, you know, Eddie Howe has come in, really turned this team around. They did a little bit of business in January, but uh, we expect more in the summer, right? And they are all the way up into ninth place, Garrett. They're in the top half of the Premier League. I mean, I don't see how they're... You would think that they're not going to finish in the top half of the league at this point. I mean, what a turnaround for Newcastle. What can we say about the job that Eddie Howe has done? And I mean, they're really looking a threat because they're just going to keep investing more and more and more. Yeah. I mean, you say they've been consistent. You're right. It's a tale of two halves of the season in the first half in 2021. They were consistently crap. They were awful at the bottom of the league in the bottom three since the turn of the new year. They've been consistently outstanding They're They I don't think I think they've won. X amount of home games in a row. They, they just don't lose at St. James's park at the moment. Um, yeah, no, they, it, it's, it's a crazy turnaround. You know, it's exactly what I was, I was hoping Everton would do has not been the case, but yeah, Eddie Howe, you know, a fantastic job from him. And you're right. They did invest. Obviously Bruno Guimaraes has been a, a great signing thus far mm-hmm. and they brought in a couple other players, you know, Chris Wood, I wouldn't really say has had much of an impact. Um, Nope. Dan Byrne, decent signing, but you know, I think most of the change has come from existing players increasing their level due to the management rather than just, oh, they spent a hundred mil in January and that's what turned their season around. Because although that obviously helps greatly, that's not what it was, in my opinion. Do you think that the mentality changed at Newcastle when they were bought and that players saw it as Oh, we now have an opportunity to stay at a club that's going to, you know, ascend and potentially become, you know, Champions League club, a title winning club in, you know, five, 10 years. Do these players now think, okay, we can go in and play well now rather than they had this kind of defeatist mentality where they're always in a relegation battle uh, or near the bottom of the table, right? Can a mentality just flip like that with a change in ownership? I mean, why not? This is the best time to possibly be at Newcastle, right? Before the takeover, you wouldn't really want to be playing there. Sinking ship, you know, fans against the ownership, um, not a great situation, a club kind of going up and down a bit. Um, But now, why why would you not want to fight for your spot? Why would you not want to play there? It's They have a lot of promise. They're the richest club in the world. You could... You know, realistically, find yourself playing in Europe, winning trophies if you can improve your game enough to not get replaced. Right. Um, So, yeah, I I think it makes sense. And, you know, also we've seen Eddie Howe do this. He took Bournemouth to ninth um, with with a worse Mm. squad, with less investment, and he took them to the top half of the table. So, I, I mean, it's not that surprising. Maybe the fact that they've been this good or that they've done all of this in the past, you know, two, three months. Okay. That's right. surprising. And the fact that they've literally been better than city since the turn of uh, the new year, that's crazy, but them rebounding like this with the new manager, with the injection of quality into the squad. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes sense, but at the same time, 
Eddie Howe, I think, deserves most of the credit because I look at their starting lineup from the win over Norwich and there's only two players that they, that they got. Oh, no, sorry, three players if we count Matt Target on loan. But the rest of the players, you know, eight of the 11 were players that were already at the club at the first half of the season when, when they were playing horribly. Yep. When, when Eddie Howe came in, we looked at him as a potential stepping stone to that, that next big step. Uh, but, you know, I mean, there's no reason he's going to go anytime soon now. So if they can invest in the summer, give him uh, an even better squad, it, it's going to be interesting to see what he can do. Uh, and then where we would expect Newcastle to be, right? The relegation zone, that, that's where they've been. Uh, Burnley getting their win and finally rising out of the relegation zone, putting Everton in it for the first time all season. Uh, I mean, Garrett, I need getting to two perspective. wins. Getting two Correct. wins, right? So they beat Southampton 2-0 uh, at Turf Moor, and then they... They stayed at home. They hosted Wolves and got a one nil win there. So that's, you know, two, that's seven points in three games, right? They got the draw um, at the London stadium against West Ham since the sacking of Sean Dyche. And, and everyone, everyone was absolutely baffled by Sean Dyche getting sacked. We talked about it last week saying it's an awful decision. And now here I am eating my words because they've just won two on the bounce. And now Everton are in the relegation zone for the first time all season, which honestly is surprising that this is the first time, given the fact that we've been God awful since October. But I mean, this is our first time in the relegation zone since December, 2019, which was when Marco Silva got sacked uh, and then Ancelotti came in and we were promptly back in the top half of the table. But it's the first time that we've been in the bottom three this late into the season since 1999. So, I mean, it's a historic low at the moment. Um, I can't believe that the Burnley decision is working out so well. I can't believe they've flipped a switch like that. Um, I'm fuming about it. I'm very, very worried about it, especially if they keep playing like this. Um, the one thing I would say is it's it's dragging Leeds kind of back into it because Leeds are now only three points clear of Burnley with the same amount of games played. Everton have a game in hand on both of them. Yep. I mean, it, Burnley are just playing well, as you say, seven points in the past three. They only conceded one goal in those three games. So they're, I mean, we do think of Burnley as this, you know, sit back uh, team and they'll defend and not let you score. And that's what it's been under Dyche. Um, but they did open up. I mean, against Southampton, we saw a much more open, uh, expansive Burnley side. Um, and so the question is, will we see that? I mean, it was pretty similar against uh, Wolves. They tried to uh, but, you know, they, they didn't have as much possession. Wolves are a better side. Um, but but potentially we're seeing a, a different Burnley where they get to open up more uh, and play more real football. And the players there, I'm sure, have to let especially the attacking players get to play more real uh, attacking football. And that'll make them, you know, all the more happier to play in that system. Uh, and then it was Everton, right? Uh, they were had just been put in the relegation zone for the first time, and they have to go and travel to Anfield for the Merseyside Derby. Uh, not an easy fixture, is it? No, I mean I, we won there last year, obviously, but under very different circumstances. Um, I mean, I, I thought the performance, to be honest, wasn't awful at all. I thought we put up a really good fight, especially in the first half. I think there was a lot of things that didn't go our way. I think Sadio Mane should have been sent off for grabbing Mason Holgate's face. Um, I think the Matip challenge on Anthony Gordon should have been a penalty. Um, but, you know, then Andrew Robertson gets a goal. 
and Origi, of course, because Origi kills it off uh, right before stoppage time. And, you know, it's a, it's a 2-0 win uh, for Liverpool, keeping pace with City, obviously. And it's just a really tough pill to swallow for Everton. Um, I think that game that we threw away at Turf Moor against Burnley, we thought we might have gotten away with it because of that big win over United. But now that that loss is more important than ever, um, and it's really, really going to be an uphill battle from here. That game in hand that I mentioned is hosting Chelsea at Goodison Park, who we do have a very good record against um, recently, to be honest. I think we've beaten them three straight years at Goodison. So here's praying that we can make it four. Yeah, I agree with you. It was not a bad performance from Everton in the first half, um, but it was just very defensive, right? Uh, they, they were able to release a little bit, but I mean, Liverpool set records for 85% possession, which is the most since April 2018. Uh, that was a City game, not un, unsurprisingly, right? Um, Everton had 32 completed passes in the first half, uh, which was the lowest since 2006. Uh, which Watford just weren't able to pass the ball back then, apparently. Um, and, and I mean, Allen, I mean, look at Allen. He completed one pass the entire game, which was from kickoff. Uh, that is a, a mind-boggling wild. stat. I that didn't know a, that. That is, yeah, that, yeah, mind-boggling stat, that one. Um, it just shows Everton were sitting back and, and trying to get a result, which, you know, it, it worked for them well in the first half. But uh, once that man, Origi, came on, it, it was done for, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, he has six goals in nine games against us. Here's a crazy stat. 27% of Divock Origi's Premier League goals have come against Everton. That's crazy. I um, he plays more against Everton than any other team. Probably well, as well. That's mean. true. Klopp, yeah. Klopp knows for some reason, you know, he just like, he loves compounding our misery. But, you know, you Klopp say- you know, we had, a world-class striker. Did you hear that? Oh, get out of here. Yeah, world-class only against Everton because that's just- it's just Everton, isn't it? Everton that. But um, I mean, yeah, Liverpool had a lot of the ball, but they really didn't do much with it. In my opinion, we had a higher XG than them at halftime, despite having so little of the ball and completing 32 <laughs> passes. And we still created better chances than they did in the first half. And in the second half, you know, the Robertson one. OK, that's a That's a good chance created the the free kick for the goal that ended up going to D to Diaz's like bicycle kick, which turned into a cross to a Rigi soft foul. So, yeah, but at the same time, we should have had a penalty. They should have been down to 10 men, in my opinion. So um, I think 2-0, honestly, is a little bit harsh for Everton's performance. I thought we defended really resolutely. Um, and our, our organization, especially considering that Ben Godfrey got injured in the warmup and we had to replace him with Michael Keane. Um, I, I thought, you know, it was a little bit encouraging. At least we didn't get absolutely embarrassed because despite whatever your possession stats say, I don't think we got embarrassed at all, especially compared to some of the results in years past at Anfield. Yeah. And so Everton have some work to do. They arguably have a tougher run, uh, than Burnley coming up. They do have a game in hand sitting two points behind Burnley. So Hopefully, for your sake, they can they can get out of it. But Liverpool, with that win, were able to keep pace with Manchester City, who in the, the last storyline of the weekend, uh, it was Gabriel Jesus. He was linked to Arsenal uh, and immediately scores four goals at the Eddie had against Watford. What a performance from him. I mean, just single-handedly carrying Manchester City 
the the first time that anybody's scored four goals in a game since uh, Son did it a couple years ago, which was I think everybody remembers that performance, and I think everyone will remember this one as well. Yeah, I mean, honestly, and I don't, I don't know if you'll like this take, but I feel like Gabby Jesus could be a decent fit at Arsenal. Um, I, I don't know if City is the place for him, especially with Holland coming in, and you know, obviously, Jesus isn't a striker. Um, we both think of him as being a lot better on the wing, but the fact of the matter is that with City about to get an actual number nine, they won't have to play wingers at number nine anymore. So that's one less, you know, rotational spot available for Jesus. Arsenal, meanwhile, need forwards. I think Jesus at Arsenal could work, but, you know, I'm not sure if this performance from him was him saying, Arsenal, come get me, or him saying, Pep, don't you dare sell me. So what's your take on that? No, it's a good question. I, I don't disagree with what you're saying about Arsenal. I just don't know if it's the most likely uh, move to actually come to fruition because I don't know if City want to sell within the league, uh, especially to Arsenal. Not that Arsenal are, you know, competing for, for titles yeah. against City, but, but I, I just think it's more likely it goes probably to like Serie A or something. But uh, regardless, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's probably him saying the latter of, yeah, Pep, please don't sell me. Um, but uh, I, I don't think that that's going to change Pep's mind at all. I, I know that the debate that raged on uh, Twitter became, who do we sell, Gabriel Jesus or Raheem Sterling? Um, to me, the answer is very simple. It is Gabriel Jesus. I, I know that yeah. people are going to be reaction, reactionary with this, but Raheem Sterling has been class uh, consistently for five years for Manchester City. And he, I, I mean, he is the best winger. Uh, in the past five years at Manchester City. And there isn't a debate over that because, you know, Bernardo had a good uh, year or two, whether you consider him a winger or not. Marez is having the best year of his career this year, but that doesn't mean he's, you know, done it consistently. Mar- excuse me, Sterling is upside de- up and down, um, but he's just class. And, and I rate Jesus, but I've been asking for him to be sold for a couple of years now because I just don't think he fits uh, City extremely well and, unless he's just put on that wing. But you know, he doesn't have the time. And as you say, Holland uh, is likely to come. Yeah. I mean, I'm totally on the same page as you there. And also, you know, it's, it's four goals, but it's against Watford. Like, you know, you, you could have anybody else on city's team do that on any given day, you know, and, and that's the exact example of, Oh, you know, you're not, you wouldn't be expecting Jesus to score four goals in that game. But at the same time, that could have been Foden. That could be, you know, literally anybody in City's front line is more than capable of scoring four goals in a game against Watford. So, yeah, I don't think one performance like that should get Jesus even close to, you know, being valued over Raheem Sterling if it comes to selling somebody to make room for Holland. And quickly, Justin, just before we move away from the Premier League, every week we got to look at the 538 predictions and they've been flip-flopping big time um as you said arsenal back in the best position they have like a two-thirds chance justin over spurs united now below one percent to finish in the top four their season is dead um but the relegation zone justin everton's chances of being relegated has been upped all the way to 54 percent yeah. So it's uh, it's not looking good. It it is not. It is not. Um, 
but yeah, as you say, we can uh, then move to the rest of Europe, which we don't uh, always cover, you know, the other leagues in Europe, uh, because we do focus on the Premier League, the best league in the world, undoubtedly at this point. Um, but we had winners in the other leagues. Uh, it was PSG in League 1 winning again. Uh, this is their 10th league title uh, of all time. So congratulations to PSG. I don't think anybody is surprised by that one. No. Nope. Uh, wrapping, wrapping up the league a little bit early as expected. And then in the other league where we uh, expect a winner, it was Bayern Munich winning the Bundesliga uh, over you know Dortmund in second place, but far distance. Um, but Bayern with their 10th consecutive Bundesliga win, they're the first team in a top five league to win the league 10 years straight. Uh, so a, a big record there, um, but as expected, Bayern and PSG winning uh, their leagues. Yeah, I mean, at this point, uh, I look at it and I'm like, you know, people say that Ligue 1 is the worst of the top five leagues. But the fact of the matter is that the Bundesliga is dead, man. It's dead. Ten years in a row, like at least we had PSG getting upset last season by Lille. And, mm-hmm. and that's that was a bit of a shock. But, you know, ten years in a row what is even the point of watching Bayern at the, like watching the Bundesliga at that point, in my opinion, like I, and, and then, but that, that team who won 10 titles in a row just got knocked out of the champions league by Villarreal who are what, like seventh in La Liga right now. So I personally think the Bundesliga should be considered the worst of the five top leagues in Europe. That's a hot take, but you know, that's just the way that I see it. I think with the talent in, in France and the talent that, France is producing for other clubs in other leagues. Um, and, and I think they've been more consistent than products coming out of the Bundesliga. You know, there's Holland, obviously Sancho has not lived up to the price tag as much as, you know, he has been getting better as the season goes on. Um, but, you know, yeah, I think players coming out of, yeah, I mean, obviously, but I just think some of the products that Liga are, yeah. uh, are producing are, are just better. And, as much as, you know, PSG still dominate, it, it, we see, we saw, obviously, that other teams can still pip them to it and win it. And so that's just my, uh, I guess, hot take is I think Bundesliga is more of a farmer's league than Liga at this point. Yeah, I, I think it's a good argument. Um, I think that to me, Bundesliga is a little bit more condensed. I mean, you take out the top two. Uh, and then it's a little bit more condensed where I think that there, there's a little bit more of a range um, in, in Ligue 1 where there's a, a few more teams at the top that, you know, we could have see some shuffling, whether it be the Champions League spots or the, uh, the Europe spots or even the winner, as you say, is more likely to be uh, messed around with. Whereas I think the quality uh, in Bundesliga is a little bit better from the bottom up. Um, so that's why I would say that Liga is the worst league, uh, but that that's me. And then I think that we would agree Serie A is the third best league uh, in Europe, league uh, with La Liga second, uh, and and the Premier League first. Speaking of La Liga, by the way, uh, Real Madrid have not won La Liga yet, but they are one point away uh, from securing that title, which would make Carlo Ancelotti, the first manager in history to win all the top five European leagues. Garrett, the question I have for you, because I know you're, you have uh, your own bias about Ancelotti. Does that make him the best manager ever? No. And you like, you could, you could definitely make not. an argument. Yeah, no, you can definitely make an argument. Like I see, like there's an argument, but at the same time, like, 
I don't know. You look at the, the you look at the teams that he's managed or the teams that he's inherited, um, and you kind of expect that he should be winning the league with all of those teams, mm. especially mm. at the moment, given how far Atleti and and Barca are from Madrid and and you know the team that because he inherited a, a, the team that won the title last year. So it's not like it's not like this is some crazy feat. You know, he has the best striker in the world and happened to win La Liga while Barca are 800 million in debt and signing players off Wolves' bench. So, I, I mean, am I wrong? Adama Traore, right? Or, or Aubameyang, who had been absolutely awful oh, in Prem for about six, seven, eight months before moving to Barca. So, um, you know, he's up there for sure. But best of all time, no. Definitely not. Uh, how high up there would you say? Top five, top 10, top? He's probably top five. He's probably top five. As much as I dislike him and think he's a snake and a liar, he is probably top five. Yeah, I, I think I have to agree with you. Top five, but not number one. For me, number one will always be Pep, but a little bit biased there probably as well. Um, And then we can move to the United States. We have two... Um, competitions to cover in the United States for the first time, I think in our podcast history, um, we have obviously MLS as we do every week, but we have the U S open cup, uh, which we are finally, finally back. Be- yeah. Finally back. I mean, for those, uh, anybody who doesn't know what the U S open cup is, uh, if you're listening, you know, in England or something like that, it's basically the F our, our version of the FA cup. Uh, it, it is the cup in which all teams within the United States play, uh, to one winner. So, uh, we had we had a bunch of what we like to call cup sets uh, this this round uh, with with MLS teams going out. Uh, we saw Detroit have a late winner over Columbus Crew. Omaha were able to beat uh, the Chicago Fire on penalties. Uh, Fire didn't have Slanina in that game in those penalties. Maybe it would have been a different story. Who knows? Um, Austin traveled to San Antonio. Their traveling support was really uh, an incredible. I love the Austin fans. I have a lot of respect for them, but it wasn't enough to beat San Antonio away. Uh, and then RSL lost to a League One side in Northern Colorado Hailstorm, um, which I'm, I'm sure you love the name, Garrett. Another natural disaster similar to, to your team. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Hailstorm. Yeah, you like that one. A, a League I've ne- One. I've never, I've never heard of them. Yeah, I mean, I'd never heard of them in, until now, but. Yeah, I'm I'm always for RSL losing, so that's fine. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that that's uh, a few MLS sides uh, out in round three, which is uh, quite surprising, right? Because that's the first time that the MLS sides play; they don't play round one or two. Yeah, it's uh, just like the FA Cup, right? Uh, exactly. So, so some some very big surprises there. Uh, as far as your team and my team, uh, we battered our opponents. You five yeah. nil uh, against Bay Cities. And me, uh, my team, LEFC, uh, which I was in attendance for, battered Orange County 5-1. Um, so both both advancing there. You Any guys played on- a very strong lineup. It's just what I was going to say. I, I We played the <sighs> kids. But, I mean, no, you had Chicho Arango. You had Apoku. You had Ginella, Cifuentes, Blessing, all playing. Musovsky yeah, but- getting a brace. But, like, the, you know, these are all first-team players. Musovsky no, literally scored not, the winner though, for you. thing. In- I mean, Musovsky literally scored the winner for you in an MLS game this weekend, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Off the bench. Okay. Still. Okay. What about, okay. Chicho, literally MLS newcomer of the year. 
Right, but he hasn't been starting uh, this season in in MLS play, which is why he got this start. Um, as well as Apoku has been the one starting in MLS play. The reason he probably got this start is because Ismail Tatari Shradi was injured, uh, likely would have started in that spot uh, instead of Apoku. And then, you know, Blessing, who has been a starter in the past, not start, not uh, this season. Cifuentes, yes, absolutely a starter. Uh, and then Palacios on the back line. Um, but for the most part, I mean, that's three or four starters, depending on how you look at it, uh, which is probably more than what San Jose put out. But yeah, uh, uh, definitely still some rotation there. Yeah. Meanwhile, for us, you know, we had some very young players coming in. Uh, Nico Tsakiris, who is 16, Justin, uh, scored his first professional goal. He made it his debut off the bench on the road against Philadelphia. Um, I think it was maybe week three of the MLS season. Um, he got a goal. Cade Cowell had a goal, finally playing striker, which Almeida has refused to play him at for so long. Um, one of our super draft picks, Usani Buddha, getting a goal. So that was good to see. Um, and uh, then one of our homegrown talents as well, Will Richmond, who I, I have friends who know him, which is cool. He's from uh, where we're from, more or less, Justin. Um, but yeah, you know, that was our first win of the season. Um, would not be our only win of the week. And we can talk, we'll mm. get to that in a little bit, but it was really good to see us put in a, a comprehensive performance. The first game without Almeida, obviously, um, and, and to see these young players step up and play really well and score some really nice goals um, against, you know, Bay City's obviously their first season in existence, I believe their first U.S. Open Cup game, but they were thoroughly outmatched. Uh, speaking of young players, LAFC just announced today uh, on the topic that they are signing their academy product, Nathan Ordaz, 19-year-old um, forward. So uh, a lot of opportunities in MLS for uh, youngsters, which, which is just great to see. Uh, and then we got the new uh, draw for the fourth round um, of the U.S. Open Cup. I'll go through a few of the, the draws that we got Um between MLS sides, we have Orlando uh, playing the Philadelphia Union, DC versus New York Red Bulls, Sporting Kansas City, Dallas, LAFC will host Timbers, uh, New England will play Cincy. I think that's going to be an interesting one. Uh, Nashville versus Atlanta, of course, the Derby in the South, and then Minnesota, Colorado, as well as, which will be a perfect transition to the MLS, Garrett, the Earthquakes drew Seattle Sounders. Uh, they have to go to Seattle in the US Open Cup fourth round, but before that, they played them in MLS play. Garrett, what happened? Uh, we picked up our first MLS win, as I foreshadowed just a few minutes ago, in crazy comeback fashion. Um, and we were down, we were down two 0 We were down three one. But a Christian Espinosa hat trick, as well as a goal from Jackson Ewell, um, meant we took home all three points for the first time this season. Espinosa's third goal, which was from the spot in second half stoppage time, uh, sealed it. It was big names as well on the score sheet for Seattle. Ladero, Roldan, Jordan Morris, all finding the back of the net. But, you know, the Quakes, this was a really encouraging performance. 56% possession, 23 shots against Seattle. Very impressive. Obviously, we know that Seattle... Um, I haven't been at their best this year and, and have been prioritizing CCL, but I mean, they started pretty much all their big names in this game. Ruznak, oh, Jalpalo, yeah. 
Roldan, Lodero, Morris, Rui Diaz. It was a complete first team, wasn't it? Pretty much, yet Alex Covello's Earthquakes managed Uh, to get the win, uh, and and I'm ecstatic about it. I'm I'm very happy. Yeah, Covello winning a manager of the week, uh, fully deserved, of course. Uh, Espinoza as well, player of the week, uh, as well deserved. A really, a really big week uh, for San Jose, getting two wins, U.S. Open Cup, and then beating Seattle Sounders. Uh, that was a really impressive comeback, obviously down 2 nil. Um, New York City also came back from 2 nil. They won at 5-4 uh, with, with uh, a player getting sent off very late as well, uh, Alfred Morales. Um, and then we had another really interesting comeback in, in a Texas derby. It was Dallas coming back. They were down 1-0 in the 87th minute and managed to win 2-1 uh, with a goal in the 87th and 93rd. Garrett... I think I know what you're going to say. Maybe you're a little biased, but what was the best comeback of this week in MLS? It was the earthquakes, and that's not because of bias. Listen to this stat, Justin. Prior to that loss against the earthquakes, the Sounders had won, listen to this, 123 straight MLS games in which they led by two goals at any point two plus goals at any point. So the last time, the last time Seattle lost a game that they were winning by two goals or more in MLS was June, 2009. So yes, it is the earthquakes as much as that NYCFC game was crazy as much as that turnaround in, in the, one of the Texas derbies was crazy. The fact of the matter is that Seattle don't, drop leads like this they don't choke they don't bottle yet they did um and that is why the earthquakes comeback is the most impressive of the week and potentially of the season thus far although that one austin one a few weeks ago was a bit mental as well but just the fact of the matter is you know we say seattle are focusing on ccl we've said that but it's still you know they are an imperious mls franchise serially successful getting deep in the playoffs every single year. Um, and we managed to flip this game on its head down three, one in the 57th minute. So bias aside, I feel like it has to be the quakes. That passionate speech has just convinced me. You are right. Because I was going to say <laughs> Dallas, I was going to say Dallas. I mean, two very late goals. I mean, that, that late uh, aspect to it really makes it um, an incredible comeback for me, but that is an unbelievable that we know how good Seattle are over the, their history and how they, um, you know, are a very consistent top side, probably the most consistent top side in the league uh, over the past decade. So that that is an unbelievable stat. Um, and oh, I actually that- hold up. Yeah, hold up. I actually read it a little bit wrong because they won 123 straight. Right. The only one before that that they that they didn't win was a draw. So this is the first time in the history of their entire franchise that they've lost a game. They were winning by two goals. Oh man. The stat is getting more insane. Yeah. San Jose, incredible comeback fully uh, get it. And CCL to me is no excuse for this game uh, for Seattle. We can talk about it when they're rotating, but this was a first team lineup uh, from Seattle. It's going to be very similar to the lineup that they put out um, against Pumas. So no excuses uh there it's the in drama of mls though isn't it isn't it oh, anything yeah. can happen in this league anybody can beat anybody on any given day 
Um, and, and speaking of which, wait, uh, and I would also say just real quick, it's also not the first time that we've done something like this this season. Obviously, the crazy comeback against Columbus as well. But Justin, you know the phrase, and I'll never stop saying it: Goonies never say die. Yeah, you know, there's there's the team uh, in the U.S. Open Cup that won. I can't remember who it was, but they they have the exact same uh, phrase uh, that they that they love to do. It obviously it's from the movie Goonies, and so it makes sense there. But uh, Another team. It'd be interesting if you guys meet up in the U.S. Open Cup somehow. Um, but moving to uh, the East side, we have D.C. United, who were in the headlines a lot this week because first they parted ways with their manager, uh, Hernan Lozada. They decided no longer he, he wasn't having a good start to the season. They were sitting dead bottom of the Eastern Conference. Uh, they said Chad Ashton is going to be their interim coach for the time being. And what did Chad Ashton go do immediately beat new England three, two um, at their home stadium. It was a, a, a really impressive performance from DC. I mean, new England are just in shambles right now. I mean, I don't know what to think about them. No, it's crazy. They, I mean, they are even with Cincinnati on seven points at the bottom of the Eastern conference, I don't think anybody could have ever seen this coming. Carlos Heel is fuming on the sidelines, yelling at Bruce Arena. I don't even know what's going on, but I do know one thing. Bruce Arena should be on the hot seat, shouldn't he? I think so. I mean, it's not like he doesn't have enough talent. This literally, this exact same team pretty much just set the record for best MLS regular season ever. They have the reigning MVP. I mean, it's crazy. Think about it this way, Justin. The Quakes just won their first game of the entire season. They are now only one point behind New England. That's crazy. And yeah, New England are bottom, joint bottom of the East, only not bottom, I guess, on goal difference because Cincinnati like conceding a lot. Um, Actually, no, they've conceded the same amount of goals as Cincinnati. They've just scored more. That's crazy. Um, Yeah, no, Bruce Arena has to be on the hot seat. You're totally right. He has to be. I mean, this is a shambles. I can't believe this drop-off. I mean, I'm struggling to think of of another example in the history of this league where a team that's been so dominant, obviously there's never been a team that dominant in the regular season, has dropped off like this. Because it's not like, you know, they're, you know, in eighth or ninth or something. I mean, they're 13th. With the MVP and a team that got like 70 something points. That's crazy. I'm honestly starting just to, I I really don't understand how it's happening. Um, But it's, that's MLS for you, Justin. As I said, anything can happen in this league. Yeah. It's not just one that anything happening on one week though. It's not just a a terrible team beating a good team. It's a team with, a top roster team that, as you say, set the record for most points in MLS last season, and they cannot find a way to win anymore. Um, they, they turned to the transfer market, though, didn't they? We have a lot of transfer talk, I think, in MLS this week to talk about because first, uh, for $4 million, they signed Dylan Barreto, and that is before incentives. That could increase. Um, Dylan Barreto, a midfielder from Atletico Minero, uh, big signing for them. So just trying to bulk up that team even more uh, to, to find a way, because as you say, I don't think we've ever seen a drop-off like this. I mean, it took LAFC two years after they set the, the points record that, that New England promptly broke um, to fall off 
out of yeah. the playoffs. And that wasn't nearly as deep as New England. Obviously, there's still a lot of time to go. We're only eight games in the season. Um, but it's just it's just confusing uh, and needs to be solved. Um, as well as just on Barrero, I was going to say on yeah. Barrero, you know, it's a he's a 20 year old Colombian. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to be the one to turn them around. I mean, he's only ever made 47 professional appearances. So um, as much as it's a big splash and maybe a, a prospect for the future, you know, do I really think that he's going to be able to turn their season around? No. And at this point, I'm not expecting them to make the playoffs unless they can sack Bruce Arena and find someone to do a better job. But I mean, they they are truly in shambles and I and I really don't understand how or why. Yeah. And then the other big move that happened uh this week was Jesse Zardes from Columbus Crew. We knew he was leaving. He is gone to Colorado, which uh, to me is a very interesting landing spot. It's not as if Colorado have no strikers. They have a couple players, but uh I mean, I would assume Giuseppe Zardes is likely to start. The original report um, that came out was that it was about $300,000 in, in GAM or general allocation money, um, which was a really, really low number. But then when, when Crew reported the sale, they reported it as over a million. So I'm not sure what the exact number is, um, but that's that's a large change. I, I would guess that the over a million is, is somehow with incentives or something like that, because uh, I don't think they got that much money. They could have sold him, you know, a couple months ago for probably a couple million, two or three. Uh, but that was before everyone knew it, 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 he's getting out of there, uh, which gives, you know, obviously other teams leverage in those negotiations. So it, depending on what that price is, this is a very interesting transfer within MLS, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I believe this is the last year of his contract. So that definitely impacts the price. I would be shocked to be honest, if Colorado did pay over a million for him, that would change my perception of the transfer. I also saw the the 300 K on, on the day that it happened, which if that is the actual figure, I think is a brilliant move for Colorado. I mean, as much as we like to bash on Zardes uh, from like the USMNT context, he is a proven MLS goal scorer. He is an MLS cup champion um, and Colorado are trying to look for a way to get back to the top of the West after obviously winning it last year, but they're sitting in 10th right now. They need a, a bit of impetus to turn their season around. Um, I think Zardes could definitely be that. I, I think he could do well in Colorado. The figure though, as you say, depending on what it is, does impact how smart of a move this is overall. But if it is 300K, I think that's some very good business from the Rapids. Here's what I believe it is, uh, because Columbus Crews announced it as 1.4 million. And so I think it's a 300,000 guaranteed in 2022 GAM, and then potentially up to an additional 1.1 GAM uh, if if Zardis is to reach performance metrics. That's what I believe is the case now as I'm reading it on Columbus Crew's website. Uh, I don't know why they believe that they should announce it as 1.4 million when that's only if all the incentives are met. So uh, extremely unlikely it reaches that number. Yeah, yeah, and that might even be like he might even have to extend his contracts if he wants to like stay in Colorado, Colorado, right? Because Mm -hmm. um, when you get traded like that, he he doesn't like sign a a brand new contract. I'm pretty sure he just carries over the one that he's on. So 
um, yeah, I think that's Columbus trying to make it look like a better deal for them than it actually is because mm-hmm. yeah, um, 300 K guaranteed. I'm not going to say they got fleeced, but I they will. Didn't, I will. They, they got did fleeced. not get, they did not get fleeced. They did not get fleeced. Okay. But one year left on the contract. If, if he does actually extend and reach those incentives, 1.4 mil for a player, you're about to lose anyway. That's not horrible. No, 1.4 wouldn't be, but it's it's not going to reach that from what I can tell. Uh, he would have to probably score. I mean, we don't know what these incentives are, right? We don't know what the contract yeah. looks like, but probably they're they're very high goal scoring numbers for this season. Um, so, I mean, we know that Colorado loves making big moves. They, uh, you know, bought market that he gave from LAFC, then promptly sold Kellen Acosta at LAFC. Now, Giussi's already. I mean, these are some of the biggest names in MLS uh, that Colorado likes to play with. Um and then we had a couple, those were a couple confirmed transfers, right? We have a couple big, big rumors uh, moving back to DC United. They have been linked with Gareth Bale uh, for a summer move, which would be, uh, I mean, incredible. Gareth Bale would be one of the top players to ever play uh, in this league. He would, uh, reports would, are saying that he would become uh, the highest paid player for DC uh, ever. Obviously that compares to Wayne Rooney, who was there a couple of years ago, uh, who got paid about three and a half million dollars a year. Um, and Bale's contract would be higher than that if he were to, to sign this deal. And then as well, Chiellini has been reported by Fabrizio Romano to be interested in an MLS move uh, this summer, obviously aging, um, but, but could be a very good leader in the back for uh, an MLS team, Garrett. My question to you is obviously I want to hear your thoughts, but I also want to know which one of these do you think is more likely to happen? Ooh, more likely. Uh, I'd probably say Chiellini just because of the age. Um, mm-hmm. And also, you know, it, it, it makes a lot more sense, you know, 37 coming towards the end of his career where Gareth Bell, he's only 32. You know, when you think about the fact that of what Benzema and Modric are doing at 34 and I think 37 respectively, um, Bale's still got a lot left in him, and we've seen that for Wales. The dude is insane for Wales. I mean, I'd argue that when he puts on a Wales shirt, he plays at a world-class level. Like, he's that good, um, even now. So, him going to MLS, if DC pulled that off, I would argue that that's the, the best transfer in the history of MLS because he will absolutely wow. tear this league apart. He will absolutely tear this league apart. Yep. I mean, it, it would be incredible to see his pace. I mean, MLS defenders would have a nightmare, obviously. Um, I, I have to agree with you that Chiellini is more likely to happen uh, just because, first of all, the reports that I see are more credible, obviously coming out of Fabrizio Romano, uh, probably the most credible source uh, for, for this type of reporting in the world. And then DC United... Well, they have pulled this off in the past. It just would be, as you say, a steal and a major, major move. Um, so Chiellini, I think that it's just very, I think that many, many teams could be interested in Chiellini versus DC is only one team interested in Bale. Um, not that other teams wouldn't, but but one team really uh, seems to be in the running. So I think that's the big thing for Chiellini being more likely, but either of these would be uh, very impressive for for mls and then wait hold uh, up i have one more th- i have one more thing to say and just think about it this way justin 
for Bale, this is a player obviously on loan at Spurs last season, who in, as we say, the best league in the world, the Premier League, scored 11 goals in 20 Premier League appearances, and many of those were off the bench. So think about what he would do in MLS. That is frightening. That is frightening. I like I think if he came next year to MLS, he would break Carlos Vela's record. I'm saying it now. Wow. That is a massive statement. Uh, I'm going to have to disagree. Um, I don't think you, I don't think you could throw Vela in the Premier League and get double digit goals in 20 appearances from him. That like, I, I agree with that take. Yes. But Vela, it's just, it's just really hard to reach those numbers. Um, I mean, it also, if if he goes to DC, if he goes to DC, yeah. Okay. A bit, a bit less likely, you know, you would want him probably to join a a better team to be able to pull that off, but he has the quality by all means. He is still more than good enough to do that in my opinion. Um, And I think, you know, it it does actually kind of make sense from his perspective. He's only played five La Liga games this year, one or two games in the champions league. So why not go to uh, the U S and absolutely destroy it? Yep, maybe so. Uh, I just think 34 goals is a ridiculous number to hit. I, I don't see anybody hitting that anytime soon uh, in MLS, potentially. I, I just don't know if that's a, a reachable number, um, especially as MLS continues to improve. But speaking of MLS improvement, uh, MLS has another shot at winning their first CCL title uh, in history, right? The CONCACAF Champions League yep. against Liga Américas. Um Seattle Sounders will be facing Pumas uh, in the final. It is a two-leg final, uh, so we will cover the first leg uh, next episode and then and then the second leg, the, the episode after that it will be. But for now, we can give our predictions. Um, we know that neither of these teams are really doing well in their leagues, are they? Because we have um, Pumas, who are sitting in... 12th place in Liga Américas after 16 games uh, in that f- very, very last final playoff spot uh, in Liga Américas. So, you know, very poor. They're on uh, 19 points, whereas Pachuca, who are leading the league, are on 39 points, right? So double the amount of points gives you a little bit uh, of an idea um, as far as, you know, leading the Clasura side of Liga Américas. And then in the Western Conference, Seattle are, we just talked about them losing uh, to San Jose. They are sitting in 11th on seven points. Um, Neither team doing well in their league, but both teams in the final Garrett, give me your prediction. How do you think this one's going to go? I mean, it's tough. It's so weird that the two contenders are teams that are just like not playing well at all. To be fair to Seattle because of CCL, they've only played seven games. So, you know, one win puts them up into ninth. Or uh, no, actually, we only move them up to tenth. But I, I think, think it makes more sense for Seattle, right? Because they yeah, rotate a little yeah. bit more. And Pachuca, no, and also, also, it's way, it's we're way earlier in the season where you know right. we, they exactly. played less than half as many games in MLS than Pumas have in, in Liga Mekis because they've played sixteen games. So, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be optimistic and go Seattle. I'm gonna go Seattle. Do I think it's gonna happen? I'm not sure. Definitely not if they play like they did against the Quakes because, you know, they bottled it um, against the team who last week we said on the pod was the worst team in MLS. I think that would be a different discussion now. But um, as you know, I'm just going to back Seattle and and hope MLS can finally pull it off. Um, 
And to be fair, I don't think it would be, um, I don't think it would be unfair that Seattle would be the first team to win it because they have been one of, if not the most consistent clubs in MLS for, you know, a decade at this point. So um, I'm, I'm going for Seattle. I am going to agree with you. Um, I think that Seattle are going to become the first MLS team to win the CCL. I agree as well with what you're saying. They, they deserve to be the club, right? Because they are the, uh, the leading MLS club for the past decade. Um, and so deserve to be that first. Obviously, I wouldn't complain if, if they were to lose and LAFC were to win it next year and be the first or something like that. Um, can always look, look to the future. But I think that Seattle are going to be able to beat Pumas uh, over two legs. Uh, the, a couple reasons for this. Number one, um, I think that Pumas, you know, they're, they're just not that great of a team. Uh, I think we can take a lot more from them being, you know, 12th in their league than we can take from Seattle being uh, 11th or whatever yeah. it is in the West. Um, I, I think that we can just take a lot more from that. If you watch the team, I don't think that they're, you know, a, a better team than most teams in the league. I make uh, the other reason is that, Seattle have not had any problems this year uh, in the Champions League. They have dispatched with every team that they have faced. Uh, you know, um, they they played Motuga, if I'm pronouncing that right, dispatched of them by five goals, even if it was in the second leg. Uh, beat Lyon by three goals in the first leg and, and you know, walked the second. They beat New York City by two goals in the first leg and made it easier for them themselves in the second leg. They have had no problem this season in the Champions League. Uh, and so even if they come up against a little bit of a struggle in the final, they're going to find a way to get it done and, and be that first MLS team to win the CCL. And one last thing, Justin, before we end off the episode, we'll go from the CONCACAF Champions League to the UEFA Champions League because the semifinals start tomorrow as we record this or today as you are listening to it on Tuesday um, obviously City versus Madrid, Liverpool versus Villarreal. I'm pretty sure we have the same prediction here of what the UCL final will be, Justin. But just to double check, who are you going for to be meeting in the biggest game of football of the year? For the second year in a row, we will be having an all Premier League Champions League final. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think... City Madrid is definitely the tie that is more up for grabs, but I think City will be too good for Madrid and for Ancelotti. Um, although Benzema is always terrifying, so who knows? But I think as much as I would love for Villarreal's Cinderella story to continue, I feel like it will likely be over here. Although I did say that last round, Justin, and it didn't. So that's why I can't hold on to hope for that. But no, I, I think we'll get City Liverpool in the Champions League final, which watching the games that have been going on recently between the two sides, that is the best fixture in football at the moment. So I, I think it's fitting that that would be the Champions League final. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I think that, uh, you know, City have a couple injuries they're going to have to deal with uh, in this first leg, but uh, as long as can find a way to, to wrap up Benzema a little bit and not let him uh, wreak havoc by himself, City will be able to find a way through. Liverpool, obviously, huge favorites over Villarreal. Um, so, as you say, th the best fixture in world football, we will get it in the Champions League final. 
And with that, that concludes this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at U90Football. That's U90Football. We have those semifinals, obviously, coming up this week, as well as Chelsea versus United on Thursday. So even though those uh, that game really isn't important, Chelsea United is always something you're going to want to watch. Also, we now have an Instagram account. So be sure to go follow us over there. Our handle is U90FootballPod, all one word, U90FootballPod. And we're going to start posting on there as well. So we will see you next week uh, after those first legs um, and enjoy those games. Have a great rest of your week.